Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So this is a picture of my friend Saliba and his wife. By the way, he did give me permission to share his picture and his story. Saliba is a follower of Yeshua from Jordan, the country just east of Israel. Now, however, they live in Richmond and they serve at MAPS Global, uh, which is a missional family that exists to pray, preach, and sing the worth of Yeshua the Messiah and the Great Commission uh, uh, that it is finished in our generation. They also have a worship and prayer room, uh, RIHOP, Richmond International House of Prayer, uh, going uh, on throughout the week. I uh, met him originally when he came to our first ever online Passover Seder. Who remembers that one? It was April of 2020. Seems like longer ago, right? But that's when we did it and we, we pulled it off. And uh, since then, I've had the opportunity to get coffee with him and get to know him a little bit. For one thing, he is studying. He's in school. Guess where he is taking classes? At the King's University. And guess what studies program he is, he is in? He's in the Messianic Jewish Studies Program, taking classes with Rabbi David Rudolph, the rabbi of Tikvat Israel, before me. So that should give you a sense of where he is at theologically today, but it wasn't always like this. Here's a summary from Saliba himself, uh, written in his own words, quote, in 2012, the Lord encountered my heart dramatically towards Israel and the destiny of the Jewish people. It was a paradigm shifting experience because I grew up in replacement theology all my life. Just a side note, that's kind of the way he grew up in the church in Jordan, but that's kind of their, their theology there. It's, it's very typical. The Lord opened my heart to the many promises uh, to our Jewish neighbors, but even more, he had to deal with my heart because of the hatred and pain that resulted in growing up in an Islamic culture that hates Israel. I asked the Lord to open a way for me to visit Israel because if he wanted to heal my heart, I had to meet and talk to Jews firsthand. Miraculously, a week later, I was invited to join a team going to Israel. It was a last minute opening and a long shot to get my visa. Long story short, I got the visa on time. Who do you think did that? That was the Lord. And this is my comment here for a moment. I just want to point out that when we Americans visit Israel, we're coming from the West, right? Of course. But when Saliba visited, he visited the same way that Joshua did across the Jordan River on the East. So I just, I just thought that was interesting and a beautiful kind of, you know, re remembrance that he's, he's going the way that our people did, right? We, the way we entered the land. Um, 
Anyway, back to Saliba. Uh, in Israel, I had a couple of unique encounters that really awakened me to the reality of what Paul said in Romans 11, that Israel will be provoked into jealousy through the quote-unquote enemies around them. I remember being in Tel Aviv on the beach, and somehow I started a conversation with this Jewish girl who I then found out was secular and did not believe in God. After chatting a bit, she asked me where I was from. I told her I'm an Arab and I'm visiting from Yarden, Jordan. She freaked out and was even more shocked when I told her that I believe in the God of Israel and that he is the one who saved me, changed my heart and filled me with love for the Jews and that I was there to share with her the love of God, the love of the God of Israel that she didn't know herself. She teared up and was so touched by that testimony, and for the first time in her life, she accepted to take a Bible home and read it. Another testimony was in Jerusalem. I approached a rabbi, he seemed to be an Orthodox Jew, asking him for directions. We got into talking, and when he found out I'm Jordanian, he literally took a couple steps back in shock and fear, and so utterly confused. When I shared with him why I was there, and how the God of Israel, again, spoke to me and changed my heart towards Israel and the Jewish people. He told me that I gave him the shock of his life, unquote. <laughs> I think that that encounter with an Arab follower of Yeshua that loves Israel will change his life and perspective about Jesus forever, unquote. Baruch Hashem, right? Yeah. So why am I telling you Saliba's story? It's a good example of relational gospeling, right? But that's not it. That's not the only reason, I should say. Would it surprise you to hear that it relates somehow to this week's Parsha? Probably not, if you know me pretty well. Well, I'm Jewish, so let me answer those, those two questions that I just asked with another question. Where is Moab? Where is it? Do we know? Have you ever asked for directions there or have you ever been there? Or It's probably not around so much anymore. Well, Balak, the enemy king who wanted to curse the Jewish people, and so he hires Balaam, uh, he is the king of Moab. So let's take a look. So where, where is it? It's east of the Dead Sea, the so-called, uh, or Salt Sea, and uh, scholars think it's either um, south of that area where that is, or it could be north of that, that river that um, Robert is pointing out. Okay, but regardless, what's there now? What country is there? Jordan, yes. So Moab, the subject of this week's Parsha, is uh, located in modern-day Jordan. Thank you very much, Robert. This week, we read the colorful story of Balaam, the uh, almost prophet who is hired by Balak, king of Moab, to curse Israel down below in the wilderness as they're wandering around, mostly complaining, kvetching, that sort of thing. But instead, Balaam ends up beating a talking donkey and encountering the angel of the Lord. We read about it just a few moments ago, and uh, in which the donkey is able to see the angel of the Lord, but the seer, right, 
is not able to see it. So it's kind of ironic there. And then instead of cursing Israel, Balaam blesses the Jewish people, not once, not twice, but thrice, three times, including a repetition of the covenant with Abraham, a liturgy that we do almost every Shabbat, and a messianic prophecy. Wowza. Yeah, that's right, Eric. Wowza. You want to check it out? All right, let's take a look. Uh, this is from Numbers 24, verse 5. Uh, and this is a Shabbat blessing. And if you were here about an hour ago or so, you probably remember this, right? Raise your hand if you were here an hour ago. Okay, very good. That's good. It's good to get here on time. Okay, so this is what we said. Let's say it again. Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov. I don't hear you. Yisrael. Very nice. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your dwellings, O Israel. This liturgical poem that we say almost every Shabbat that is normative in any synagogue anywhere in the world was written by Balaam. It was written by Balaam. Yeah, interesting, right? And then we have the echo of Abraham's promise. This is in Numbers 24, verse 9. And uh, this, of course, is a linchpin verse uh, from, from Genesis 12 about uh, God's covenant with Abraham. And so he's referencing that. He crouches like a lion or a lioness. Who would rouse him? He who blesses you will be blessed, and he who curses you will be cursed, right? And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you is the, full, is the rest of that from, from Genesis 12. Okay, and then finally, we have a prophecy of the Mashiach to come out of Israel. Here it says, uh, this is Balaam again. I see him, yet not at this moment. I behold him, yet not in this location. In other words, this is one to come. For a star will come from Jacob, a scepter. What is a scepter a symbol of, right? Kingship, power, will arise from Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the sons of Seth. Edom will be conquered. His enemies will, will conquer Seir, but Israel will triumph. One from Jacob will rule and destroy the city's survivors. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. The first two I get, right? You know, the, the liturgy one, the reference to Abraham's covenant. I get that. But what is, what is this here in the text about the enemies of Israel, Moab and Edom, being conquered by the Messianic king? How do we understand this? Does, does this apply to Yeshua? Does he fulfill this? Will the Messiah actually conquer the longtime enemies of Israel? You see, some things in the Bible are clear. They're without tension or without seeming self-contradiction. For example, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple, right? Clear. Or Yeshua is Lord. He is the Messianic King. There's no tension to that. It's just truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life.
But other things in the Bible have tensions. Everybody say tensions. Uh, they're not easily resolved, but they are both simultaneously true. For example, Yeshua in the scriptures is described as fully divine and fully human. How is that possible? Tension. God is our king and our father, Avinu Malkenu, father and king, right? So that means that we are what? We are his servants in some ways, but also we're his kids, we're his children. And there's a little bit of tension there, isn't there, right? Because a servant is different from a child, an heir, but we have both as part of us and he is both, he is both our king and our father. So there's some tension in the Bible for, for certain things. So one tension here I wanna point out is that Israel's relationship with her historic enemies, like Moab and the Philistines and Egypt and Midian, there's tension here. Some scriptures seem to indicate that the Lord, the Messiah will come and judge the nations. <laughs> All right. And some seem to indicate that the Messiah will come and restore the nations. <laughs> yeah, that's nice too, right? So which is it? For example, here's a quote from Zechariah 14, where it seems to contain a multitude of perspectives on the so-called enemies of Israel. This is very interesting. Let's start in verse 16. Then all the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king Adonai Tsevaot and to celebrate Sukkot. Huh. Furthermore, if any of the nations on earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king Adonai Tsevaot, the Lord of angel armies, they will have no rain. Somebody say, no rain. If the Egyptians do not go up and celebrate, they will have no rain. Instead, there will be the plague that Adonai will inflict on the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. That's the festival of tabernacles in the fall, by the way. In that day, holy to Adonai will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the pots in the house of Adonai will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. In fact, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to Adonai Tsevaot, so that everyone who comes to sacrifice will take them and cook in them. Huh. In that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Adonai Tsevaot. Huh. So you see there's like different things going on there, right? There's a blessing for the surrounding nations to celebrate Sukkot. What's the blessing if they celebrate? Rain, yeah. Which in the ancient world was life. That was sustenance for farming. If you didn't have rain, you were, you were toast, right? But on the other hand, there's a kind of a judgment on the nations in these last days, especially those that do not celebrate Sukkot, that is, that do not come alongside Israel and worship the God of Israel. Um, I think that's, that's what it's a picture of. But then Zechariah says, in the house of the Lord, there will be no Canaanites, no foreigner. In other words, 
maybe. That means the Canaanites will not trample Jerusalem or the temple the way they did in the days of, uh, let's say, the judges, right? Or perhaps that means they will no longer be counted as a foreigner because we just read that the holiness of God will cover the earth. Even, the, even a, like an average pot, right? A little plate, that will be holy to the Lord. So the holiness of God will cover the earth, and that includes all the people groups, right? So maybe this is saying that there won't be any Canaanites because they won't be counted as Canaanites. They'll be counted as the people of God. But there's a tension to it, right? It's not resolved. If you read Zechariah and you just look at the plain sense, you get kind of two different ideas there, don't you? Even in this one chapter, there is tension to the problem. As I've highlighted in my most recent sermons, from the so-called enemies, quote-unquote, of Israel, have come beautiful examples of the righteous among the nations. Who do we think of? Ruth, right? Faithful friend to Naomi, who was from where? Moab, yes. Just like the menacing king Balak, who hired Balaam. And then we have Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. But I thought the Canaanites wouldn't be part of the temple. But here is this righteous Canaanite helping the scouts with their mission from Joshua. So, tension. Also, as I've mentioned, Ruth and Rahab are both descendants of King David. And therefore, Yeshua the Messiah. So what's the deal here? What's going on? The so-called enemies of Israel serve a role overall in the narrative of the scriptures. Often, what happens is that they are used to bring correction on Israel. For example, when we turn toward blatant idolatry and gross injustice on the poor in the land, what happened? We were exiled. But who did that? Who exiled us? It was the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the surrounding enemy nations. When we strayed from Hashem and the Torah in the book of Judges, who rose up to give us problems? It was the Canaanites, right? And then we cried out to God and he sent a deliverer. And then we were happy and then we messed up again. And then we cried out to God and you, you know, read the book of Judges, you see it. It's kind of a pattern there. Of course, within this, there are those from these enemy nations who truly come alongside the people of Israel and who cling to the God of Israel, such as Ruth and Rahab and my friend, Saliba. You know, there was someone who invited Saliba to that Passover Seder over a year ago. She hosted a few people and they all tuned in to our first virtual Seder. You want to know who that was? It was Sherry Moore. Now, you may be thinking that I'm talking about the Sherry Moore that is a member here of Tikvat Israel. And uh, I'm not. Because it is such a blessed name that there are actually two Sherry Moors connected to Tikvat Israel. Wowza. The Sherry that invited Saliba was originally a youth leader here at Tikvat, along with her husband, and was invited by Rabbi Jamie Cowan. 
She has remained in Richmond and remained a faithful friend and supporter of our Messianic Jewish ministry. Here's a little bit of her story from her website. Radically saved in 1982, Sherry's walk with Jesus has been marked with deep prophetic insight and spiritual encounters. Her and her late husband, Matthew, were ordained while working with a tent ministry on the mall in DC. It was there she developed a deep love for unity within the church and witnessed signs, miracles, and wonders performed by, the Jesus, by Jesus in the midst of the lost and hurting. Before being called to Richmond, Virginia, Sherry worked with Matthew in multiple capacities, including street ministries, worship leaders, home group, home group leaders, children's church pastors, as well as worked with Matthew as he established a recording studio and hosted a week, weekly broadcast for local Christian musicians. Matthew and Sherry were called to Richmond, Virginia in 1992 to work on staff at a local Messianic congregation. It was there that God began to reveal his heart for Israel and the nations and how it relates to the unity of the church in cities and communities throughout the earth. In 1996, the Lord spoke to Sherry and began to gather intercessors from the larger body of Messiah in Richmond. This began several years of multi-congregational seasons of prayer, fasting, worship, and prophetic declaration in Richmond and the Central Virginia region. In 2000, they formed uh, Common Thread Ministries. Shortly after the encouragement of local churches, they established the Richmond International House of Prayer, RIHOP, which I mentioned earlier. In 2019, MAPS Global moved its Frontier Missions Organization to Richmond, Virginia, and adopted RIHOP into its international family of houses of prayer. Common Thread converged with MAPS Global. Sherry currently serves as the Vice President of Strategic Relations. She speaks regularly in conferences and in churches. So this is the relationship between this other Sherry Moore uh, and uh, my friend Saliba. Sherry loves to speak about something called the Isaiah 19 Highway. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this, Isaiah 19 Highway. All right. So we do see a tension with regard to the surrounding nations and ancient Israel. But here in this text, this is the final story. God's ultimate purpose for nations like Egypt and Assyria historic enemies of the Jewish people. Let's take a look. In that day, there will be an altar to Adonai in the middle of the land of Egypt, and next to the border, a pillar to Adonai. It will be as a sign and a witness to Adonai Tsevaot in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to Adonai because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and defender. This is talking about Egypt. And he will deliver them. So Adonai will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know Adonai. That's yud heh vav -Hey, right? In that day. They will worship with sacrifice and offering. They will vow to Adonai and fulfill it. So Adonai will strike Egypt, striking yet healing. You see that? So they will return to Adonai, and he will respond to them and heal them. Kind of like what he does with the children of Israel, right? He chastises them to bring them back. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come to Egypt, the Egyptians to Assyria, and Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel 
will be a third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. For Adonai Tsevot has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. Somebody say, Egypt, my people. Assyria, my handiwork. And Israel, my inheritance. Let's say that again. Blessed is Egypt, my people. Assyria, my handiwork. And Israel, my inheritance. This week, Saliba asked me to write him a recommendation to apply for a scholarship for his Messianic Jewish studies at the King's University. This is what I wrote. Dear Sir, Madam, I highly recommend Saliba for this scholarship. I first met him when he came to a Passover Seder at the Messianic Jewish synagogue where I lead, Tikvat Israel. From there, we've gotten to know each other, and I firmly believe that Saliba is in a unique position to be a blessing to the Messianic Jewish community as an Arab Christian. He has a huge heart for Israel and the Jewish people, and although he came from a theological background of replacement theology, God has totally transformed him. I view his studies and calling as the first fruits of the Isaiah 19 promise that Israel's surrounding enemies, quote unquote, would worship Hashem alongside her in distinction and mutual blessing. He is a worship leader and a loving father, and I believe that this financial blessing would be a wise and fruitful investment in our Messianic Jewish movement. Sincerely, David Wine. When the Messiah came to earth, the nation that was our enemy, that was trampling us, was Rome. Notice how Yeshua responds to questions about Rome, about restoring the sovereignty to Israel, about overthrowing the Roman occupation and Roman authority and Roman oppression. About taxes, he says this, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. To the Roman authorities, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? They were concerned. They were worried. Is this, a, is this another king? Is he going to overthrow us? Like, who is this guy? His kingdom is not of this world. About overthrowing Rome and reestablishing Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel, this is what he said. It is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his own control, but... You will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judah and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What a brilliant redirecting response. When are you going to give us sovereignty over our land? Well, it's not for you to know, but the Ruach HaKodesh is going to come upon you to do relational gospeling. That doesn't even answer the question. It answers a, a, a different question, right? But that's his answer. The main point about Yeshua and the Roman government is this. He allowed this Gentile enemy nation to bring judgment and death upon himself. Death on the tree, which is commonly called the cross. So that in him, the full punishment and the chastisement of the enemy nation would fall on him, on his body. 
The death of Yeshua on the tree, it brings us healing and salvation. But it also shows us how he, quote unquote, conquered. He conquered the enemy nation of Rome, didn't he? He defeated his enemies by dying for them, by loving them unto death. He died for Moab, right? He died for the Canaanites, all the contemporary enemies of Israel. He died for the the Samaritans, right? The, The marginalized tax collectors, even within Israel, they were seen as enemies. He died for them. He died for the very Roman guards who crucified him. Because he said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Yeshua, as the one man Israel, took the full judgment of the nations upon himself. And when I say judgment of the nations, I mean two things. I mean God's judgment of their evil ways. And I also mean their judgment upon Israel. He took all of that on himself. Even though... He, of course, did nothing wrong. So where does that leave us? We've got to make things right with our quote-unquote enemies. We have to go to the person. We have to reconcile. We have to forgive. We have to listen. If we have something against someone else or we sense that they have something against us, we have to go to them. If the Messiah can bring centuries-old feuds, even thousands-of-year feuds, right, to healing, then Kal Vachomer, how much more can he bring the healing between brothers and sisters in our community, especially in the community of Yeshua faith? Let's pray. (laughs) Abba, we thank you that... Your scriptures are beautiful and mysterious and they contain rock solid truths that you are good, that you are loving, that you are a creator and they contain tensions as well. But we find the solution to these tensions in Yeshua the Messiah who defeated all of his enemies by dying for them. He conquered Moab by dying for Moab. And if we want to be like him, we have to do the same. So help us, Lord, to be humble like Yeshua, to follow that path. Um, And help us to be part of the Isaiah 19 highway that you're doing, to be a blessing to the so-called enemies of Israel and our so-called enemies, Lord, to, to be a blessing that we would pray for those who persecute us and bless those who curse us, that we would be truly your children, Lord, and that we would see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for directing our steps in this and helping us to do this by the power of your Ruach. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as you're able for the uh, part of the Elenu and the uh, Aaronic blessing.
V'neimar v'haya Adonai l'melech al koha aharetz b'yom ha'hu b'yom ha'hu g'ye Adonai echad u'shemo 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 echad. And it is said, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Isn't that what Zechariah was talking about? I think so. I think that's what we sang about as well, right? That was our, uh, our last song. So this is, this is the theme of the day put together by the Ruach. All right. <clears throat> Yivarechach Adonai ve'yishmarecha Yardane p'na ve'lecha ve'chunecha Yisadonai p'na ve'lecha Ve'yisim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace, wholeness, fruitfulness, restoration through Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, whether you're in our building or joining us on Zoom. May you have a good week in the Lord. Uh, Shabbat Shalom.